everyone. Welcome back to another week of Sisters in Crime. I'm your co-host, Sarah, joined by Kate. Hi. This week's episode was inspired by some info I heard from the Morbid podcast. I was listening to one of their more recent episodes, and Elena was kind of talking off topic about a case of a man who was wrongfully accused of a murder in Georgia in 1913. Mary Fagan had been murdered in the basement of a pencil factory where she had gone to pick up her paycheck. And it just so happened that Atlanta, Georgia needed a guilty individual and Leo Frank unfortunately got in the crosshairs. This is going to be part one of two parts. Mary Fagan was a 13-year-old girl who made 12 cents an hour running a machine that put metal caps on pencils. On April 26, 1913, she went into the factory to pick up her $1.20 paycheck from business manager Leo Frank. And unfortunately, wow. <laughs> and unfortunately, Mary would never return home. Her body was found at the bottom of an elevator shaft in the factory by a night watchman by the name of Newt Lee around 3 a.m. on the morning of April 27th. At the time, segregation was very prominent in Atlanta. Newt was on his way to find the bathroom for the black employees in the factory. Guided by the light of his lantern, he came upon Mary's body. He called the Atlanta police, who arrived 10 minutes later. Upon arrival, it was noted that Mary had been bludgeoned to death. Her skull was dented in, and there was blood everywhere. A piece of rope had been wrapped around her neck. Oh my gosh. Before we get into the rest of this story, I do just kind of want to let you know that I am going to be reading some quotes that were found as evidence, and some of the language is sensitive, and we know that it's not the language that we would use today because it is disrespectful, but I do want you guys to kind of get the full feel of exactly what was going on at this time and at the crime scene. Crime scene investigators found two puzzling notes on scraps of yellow paper. One note said, quote, a long, tall Negro, black, that who it was, end quote. While the other note suggested that the writer was told by the actual murder to throw suspicion elsewhere, reading, quote, he said he would love me. Play like the Night Witch did it, but that long, tall, black Negro did by himself. End quote. At first, detectives paid little to no attention to these two pieces of evidence, which later would be found to play a critical role in the trial. Detectives had also dismissed another piece of crucial evidence that would come up later during the trial. Human feces was found at the scene near Mary's body. Oh, Interesting. During my research on the investigation of Mary Fagan, it seemed the detectives were just very sloppy and not willing to look at the physical evidence on the floor around Mary's body, including bloody fingerprints on a basement door and on Mary's jacket. Yes, at the time, DNA and fingerprint testing weren't as reliable as it is today, but why didn't the detectives on the scene pay attention to these pieces of evidence that were literally right in front of them? One of my sources mentioned the door where they found bloody fingerprints was a sliding door that opened into the back alley and had in fact been tampered with. The article also mentions that there was a metal pipe that had been used as a crowbar to get into the factory. 
Wow. So literally like everything that you need is right there. Yeah. And then while detectives ignored the physical evidence, they decided to develop a theory of their own. Mary's murder took place near the lathe. And for those of you who might not know what that is, it is a machine tool that specializes in processing cylindrical shapes or cones. So I'm assuming this machine was used to make the pencils and maybe metal caps that attach to the erasers. Mm -hmm. Anyways, this machine was located in a workroom outside of Leo Frank's office, which remember he was the manager. They theorized that Mary was killed near that machine and then her body was dragged to the elevator and taken to the basement. Detectives came up with this theory when they found bloodstains near the lathe machine as well as hair in the work area that seemed to match Mary's. So let's dissect this for a second. My research wasn't specific to how much blood there was. Was it just little drops that could have happened from an injury on the job? Mary had dark hair, a common hair color that other workers could have had. Also, if her body was dragged to the elevator and taken down to the basement, wouldn't that mean there was a substantial amount of blood in the elevator? Because if you remember, when they found her, there was a substantial amount of blood around her at the scene. Also, Mm -hmm. what about blood spatter? She was hit in the head, meaning there is blood spatter somewhere. Uh And let's go back to the human feces that was found. When someone is killed, it's common for the human body to release their bowels, meaning those feces could have been hers. Meaning... She was killed down in the basement, not up by the lathe. Right. That wouldn't make any sort of sense if there's feces by where her body's found. She obviously was murdered there or she was still alive when she was taken down there. Right. So at first, detectives suspected Newt, which was the watchman who discovered Mary's body. It was decided that he wasn't the murderer after being arrested and drilled for three days while locked in the city jail. Detectives turned their attention towards the last known person to have seen Mary before she was murdered, Leo Frank, her manager. On April 27th, police paid a visit to Leo at his Atlanta home where they questioned him about Mary. Leo had actually denied knowing Mary by name, so because of this, police drove Leo down to the city morgue to show him Mary's body and took him to the scene of the crime in hopes of observing his behavior. They wanted to see if he would be nervous, which it was noted that he was. And at this time in Georgia, crime was everywhere. People were wrongfully accused of crimes just to give the citizens of Atlanta some semblance of structure. In an article I read and used for my research in this case, it mentioned that Atlanta's mayor told the police, quote, find this murderer fast or be fired, end quote. Wow. I feel like that happens a lot, even in modern day. Yeah. So that just shows you what kind of government system we're working with. So, yeah, I think I would be a little nervous, too, if I was living in that era like that. But anyways, police had determined he was not likely the murderer at that time. So I want to give you some background on who Leo Frank was. Leo was a Jewish American who was born in Texas on April 17, 1884. Although he was born in Texas, he was raised in New York, where he had earned a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from Cornell University. After completing his degree, he decided to move to Atlanta, Georgia in 1908 and then married Lucille Salig two years later. According to one of my sources, Leo visited his uncle in Atlanta who had set up a meeting with investors for a position with the National Pencil Company before Leo had ever moved down there. And as we know, Leo would end up working at the pencil factory, but not before taking a nine-month apprenticeship in Germany to study pencil manufacturing. So, 
This man was a very well-educated man. He also decided to join the Jewish community in Atlanta around this time as well, where he was elected president of the Atlanta chapter of the B'nai Barith, which is a Jewish fraternal organization. Now, I think this is a great time to point out that Georgia wasn't doing so hot as a state, especially Atlanta. What I mean by that is child labor laws um, had growing concerns. Crime was out of control, as I stated. And let's face it, this wasn't a time in America's history where all religions or races were welcomed, especially in the South. The 20th century in Atlanta's history was marked for significant economic and social change. Moving back to Leo, he was questioned by police on the 27th, and on the 28th, he and his lawyer headed down to the police department with a written deposition stating a timeline of his Saturday activities, which is the day that Mary was murdered. He mentioned Mary was in his office to pick up her paycheck between 12.05 and 12.10 p.m. on the 26th. Leo's lawyer suggested that Leo show his body to police to prove that he had no cuts or injuries as defensive wounds. There was also no bloodstains found on the suit Leo had worn on the day of Mary's murder. Leo went as far to hire the Pinkerton National Detective Agency, whom we've talked about before in a previous case with H.H. Holmes. The Pinkertons were basically the FBI before the Bureau was established. Anyways, the Pinkertons were hired to investigate the case and prove Leo's innocence. On the morning of April 29th, the day that Mary's funeral would be held, one of the Pinkerton detectives paid a visit to Newt Lee's home who was the watchman that found Mary's body. The Pinkerton detective found a blood-smeared shirt at the bottom of a burn barrel. The blood was smeared high up on the armpits, and the shirt smelled unused, suggesting to the police that it was planted. Because of Leo's nervous behavior, this just fueled the Atlanta's police suspicion of him, which led them to think Leo planted the shirt at Newt's house. Leo was arrested about 30 minutes after the discovery of the shirt at the factory. Why would he plant a shirt at his house though an unused shirt i don't understand i don't either so that evening was mary's funeral and so i have research that's saying that he was arrested in the afternoon and then i also have research saying that the citizens of atlanta became outraged after mary's funeral that no one had been arrested and accused of her murder um, and then I also have the Atlanta Constitution, which was and is the only major daily newspaper in the Atlanta metro area, sponsored a campaign to raise funds to bring a famous detective over from England to help solve Mary's case. So I am wondering if maybe it wasn't made public that Leo had been arrested yet. However, I, I didn't find any other information about the campaign from the newspaper um, I'm not sure if they were successful in their sponsorship. I didn't read anything that was, and I couldn't find out who they were trying to hire from England, but I just thought that was kind of interesting, like trying to hire somebody from England. Yeah. yeah. So there were a lot of false allegations that were made against Leo, such as a young worker saying she didn't see Leo when she came in shortly after Mary to receive her pay. One of Mary's friends, George Epps, mentioned Mary said Leo had made advances towards her. Other factory employees made comments that Leo flirted with other women in the building. One even going as far to say she was actually propositioned. And during my research, I found that detectives admitted that, quote, they so far had obtained no conclusive evidence or clues in the baffling mystery, end quote, which I'm only assuming that they didn't find any evidence to back up these allegations. And then Nina Formby who was the owner of a rooming house, which is basically a hotel, 
stated that Leo had made repeat calls to her on the day of the murder, attempting to reserve a room for himself and a girl. However, it was later discovered that Nina's accusations were contradicted by the maid at the rooming house. The maid said no calls were made that day, and if they had been made, she would have picked up the phone. What the heck? Why do people lie like that? I don't... Be, gossip? They want their 15 seconds of fame? I don't know. Yeah. Now that Leo's arrested, would I want to point out that between April 27th and 28th, four men were arrested on suspicion of Mary's murder and then released. One of them was Arthur Mullinax, a streetcar conductor who was seen with Mary the night before she died. Newt Lee, which was watchman who discovered Mary's body. John Natt, a former bookkeeper at the factory, and Gordon Bailey, an elevator operator at the factory. So let's just regroup and gather what the reasoning was behind Leah's arrest. Police rejecting rumors that Mary had been seen on the streets after she picked up her paycheck from the factory and was well alive. The ignored evidence that the Pinkertons found. The four other suspects. And then to bolster the, quote, case, as I put, I put case in quotations because this isn't a case. They haven't made a case. <laughs> Um, the case that they had against Leo, they set up a confrontation between Newt Lee and Leo. There were obviously conflicting accounts of this meeting, but police interpreted it as further implicating Leo, which I don't even Wait. understand like how that makes sense. They set up a confrontation between... So, so they like just like, set up a time was, for them to talk? No, like Lee, I I the way I read it is like Leo and Newt were already in jail and like they made each other pass each other or something and like uh, to see like how they reacted to one of another. Yeah. And with that behavior, they were like, Oh, yep, Leo is definitely guilty. But huh? what sort of reaction would make someone guilt be more guilty? I don't know. I don't know. Like, there's so much, there's so much like research and articles that I found. There's just so much information that absolutely like does not make sense. It's so baffling to me that Leo was like ever arrested. Yeah. Well, this is just early 1900. Yeah. Police work here. Right. And then on May 1st, Jim Conley who was a black janitor at the pencil factory was arrested after he was found rinsing what appeared to be bloodstains out of a shirt. Police didn't charge Jim with anything and they actually used him as the main witness against Leo in the trial. What? Come on. According to my research, it was stated Jim provided four contradictory affidavits explaining how Leo forced him to help dispose of Mary's body. On May 23rd, 1913, a grand jury convened to hear evidence for an indictment against Leo. The prosecutor was Hugh Dorsey, and it seems to me he was very sketchy and just not a good guy. He only provided enough evidence to get the indictment and promised the jury they would get more information if they went to trial. The next day, a jury of 12 men voted for the indictment, and Leo would be going to trial. Before the indictment came out on Leo, his attorney suggested to have an indictment on Jim Conley, which was actually taken seriously, but on Hugh Dorsey's advice, they decided not to indict Jim. And that is the end of part one. And we will get into part two in the next episode with the trial. And um, we'll see what happens to everyone in the story. Well, things are just getting juicy here. 
So we will see you soon for part two. As always, give us some recommendations on Instagram. Y'all can email us maybe cases. You can Yeah, there's actually us. a contact button on our Instagram profile. So if you want to email us, just click that contact button. Yes. And if anybody wants to sponsor us, that would be <laughs> lovely. Yeah. So hit the contact button. <laughs> <laughs> hit that contact button. Okay. We will see you next episode. Bye, mom. <laughs> Bye, Paula. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.